it's now you can have a, a sample of your body fluids and run it through the chip and the chip can basically detect cancer for you. Now putting that chip in the toothbrush so when you brush your teeth and make the bristles semi-permeable and the plastic, the layer of the plastic semi-permeable, your saliva goes through the chip, oh no, goes through the bristles, goes through the toothbrush, goes in the toothbrush, in the toothbrush just this chip and the saliva goes through the chip and the chip detect cancer for you. Everything will go through except the cancer cells will stay on top. The cancer cells stay on top not because it's big but because it has certain characteristics the chip can attract. Hi guys, I'm James Nguyen and I'm the 17 year old cancer toothbrush guy. And I'm honored today to be on the Vietnamese podcast with the one and only Kenneth Nguyen. Welcome to the Vietnamese. I'm your host, Kenneth Nguyen. Being part of a culture of nearly 100 million Vietnamese people in the world today comes with a lot of pain, proud history and privilege. Join me as I highlight and explore the Vietnamese experience from all over the world. Thank you. That's a, a very warm introduction, James. Thank you very much. Thanks for being here. I'm just trying to take over your show. So, um, <laughs> you know, like, you know, anytime you feel like you're tired or anything, just hit me up. I'll I'll change it to Vietnamese with James Wynn. Oh, that's a great idea. I appreciate, <laughs> I appreciate the offer. I'm just kidding. I'm just kidding. <laughs> You've been here for a very short amount of time, and we're going to hear your English here pretty soon. But being gone from Vietnam for just three years, have you had enough time to think about what it means to be Vietnamese? I don't know. How do you define an American? How do you define an American? Because I can go live in like, let's say, anyway, any random, like India. So now I'm Vietnamese Indian. Like just because my blood is Vietnamese, right? My genetics is Vietnamese. But then I live in, in an Indian place that's like filled with Indian traditions and culture. So it's like more or less, I'm gonna be soaked up of that culture. I'm gonna soak up that that tradition because it's it's where I live. It's my habitat. So the environment it affects you from the outside in. So, That's a great question. I I don't know when do we, or when are we expected to use the word American? You know, yeah. I'm I'm born here, so I would consider myself definitely American. Um, my parents would consider themselves Vietnamese American as well. But you're right. At what point do you become a New Yorker or an Angelino, right? And people say 10 years for New Yorkers. If you live over a decade, then you have the right to call yourself a New Yorker. Um, I don't know. That's kind of like a general rule I've heard from New York because it's like a, a badge of honor to, to live it through and survive it through in New York. Now, in America, I don't know. You've been here for three years, but I s assume that you're going to be finding your education, continuing your education at higher, you know, um, higher education here in the U.S. and stay and work in the U.S. And, you know, so it's a it's a it's an interesting thing for me to talk to somebody who's just come from Vietnam very, you know, just very recently. How did you get so good in English? Number one, probably because I'm still young. And uh, the language, uh, it's quick. My brain's still plastic. You know, it's like it's quick to learn when I'm still young, but like probably like 50, 60, it's hard to learn a language. So number one is probably because I'm young. Number two is because I listen to a lot of music and it's all English. I watch YouTube videos, movies, videos, it's all English. Talk to friends, it's all English. I only speak Vietnamese to my mom, my, my parents and my brother and basically my family i did learn a, a bit of english before i came over though so just a little bit yeah and it, and it just got better in three years that fast yeah i mean the challenge for kids moving over is to remember their vietnamese not learn english because the learning english will happen for sure but the challenge is like can they still keep their vietnamese up or lose the root is that a priority for you I don't keep it in the forefront of my head and be like, oh, I need to keep this Vietnamese language. Because I, I know I'm gonna I know I'm gonna speak it like I'm I'm not gonna lose it because I talk with my, my parents and my brother, my family using Vietnamese. So I and my friends are Vietnamese. Sometimes we talk in Vietnamese. So I know I'm not gonna lose it. So it's it was never a, like a priority, like, oh, it's like the top of the thing to keep to keep the Vietnamese speaking ability. It's just I know it's gonna be there. And it's just 
it will stay there. Now, I know you've probably gone through a million interviews in the last few weeks about what you've done with the cancer-detecting toothbrush, but please, if you can, walk me through the ideation, where it came from, the story of um, you know why it was created, and how it was created. Like, you know, is there a patent process that you had to think about before you released it to the to the to the news outlets before some big corporation might take a hold of that idea i want to know all of it so can we start with the idea the basic idea of it so i immigrated to the u.s summer 2019 seven months later that's also when about COVID started hit my grandma got glioblastoma and then she passed away quickly after that because it was a late notice and then um you know i was depressed because we couldn't do anything but like witness your loved one just died away. So, but then the, I started to think about what the heck happened with the disease. Like, so like, what is this cancer thing? Why is it like, so it's, it's known to be notorious, like and very dangerous. So why is it that way? And it's just, I keep asking why, and I keep just Googling uh, things about cancer. And then I keep learning, learning, learning about it, like soaking up all the knowledge and then before I knew it, I was in the journey of writing a cancer research paper and just to learn, just to build the background uh, knowledge about this cancer, because cancer is, there's so many things to know about it. So it took me a long time to build a strong foundation knowledge of the disease. Uh, and after that, I came across this idea of uh, a chip that can separate different types of cell. Uh, and then, uh, I don't know where the connection is between the chip and the toothbrush. It's like a, a, a eureka moment where it just it just happened. Like the most creative ideas that hit you, it doesn't, it doesn't come when you're forcing it. It comes when you're like washing the dish or like walking the dog or like just taking a shower it just it comes unconsciously right yeah. so then there's this chip and it th there's a lot of complex science behind the chip but uh you know how a filter works yeah a filter you run water through the filter everything will go through except for the big things will stay on top that filter is like the chip but you run your bodily fluids through the chip so you run your body fluids through the chip everything will go through except the cancer cells will stay on top. The cancer cells stay on top, not because it's big, but because it has certain characteristics the chip can attract. So then that's very exciting because now you can, uh, it's now you can have a, a sample of your body fluids and run it through the chip and the chip can basically detect cancer for you. Now, now putting that chip in the toothbrush, so when you brush your teeth, and make the bristles semi-permeable and the plastic, the layer of the plastic semi-permeable, the saliva goes through the chip, oh no, go through the bristles, go through the toothbrush, goes in the toothbrush, in the toothbrush, just this chip, and the saliva goes through the chip and the chip detect cancer for you. And then that is that. And then after that, I uh, try to get some proof of concept in the lab. That took uh, a long time. And then after that, I applied to the Rise Scholarship, and then uh, not, not scholarship. It's like a competition with uh, a lifetime benefits. And then I didn't think much about it. I was just like, I just apply for this thing at school, and then it's a lifetime of benefits. So like, why not try and give it a shot? You never know. the 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 end result is much higher than the effort you need to put in. Wow. So. The, the benefit that comes out is much higher than the than the input the effort you need to put in in the first place so then it's a gain net gain overall let's say if i lose i still have the experience right and it's worth a shot so I didn't, what is the competition called rise and and it's a it's for youth uh, or what what is rise exactly for um it's founded by former CEO of Google, Eric Schmidt. He's worth like $23 billion. 
And so he took one billion out of his net worth into this Rice Foundation, and it's a philanthropic um, enterprise. So he's trying to. I talked with the CEO of the company, and he basically said, "What Rise do is they bet early on young talents." And he said he he told me I remember he told me that research shows there's a lot of evidence that um, there's a lot of indicators that show up for success, like later in your career when you're still a teenager. So what they're trying to do is they're trying to see who has those indicators. And then they select those and then they put them into this rise winner cohort. And then they, with the $1 billion that Eric Schmidt supply, they use that to give you like scholarship, uh, opportunities, mentorship, funding to basically make your idea come true. Yeah. And how many winners or categories are in the cohort? Uh, there's no category, but it's 125,000 people apply over 125 countries. So it's a gigantic pool. And then from those 125K, it's going down to 500 finalists. 500 finalists turn into 100 winners. And then 100 winners, um, five was on Good Morning America. So I was one of those. And then... Um, yeah. Is and it the top five, five? I was the only one with the, I don't know. They, I asked, I asked them about that. Is it the top five that you're picking or, or something? And then they say, uh, no, it's just there. It's just representing, uh, the most diverse area mm-hmm. and with the most, you know, diverse, uh, personality, ethnicity, culturally. Yeah. So like two girl, three boy. Uh, from one from Vietnam, Philippine, Japanese, Indian, uh, Burkina Faso. So it's like uh, covering the whole world basically, and across all the disciplines in the STEM and humanities. Yeah, so it's just like they just want to represent a big field, a big field of like people, a big field of subjects. Yeah. So, from the time that your grandmother passed, to the time that you completed the paper to submit to rise how much time was that oh two and a half years three years something like that yeah and in those two and a half years did you in your mind think that this is going to work the actual product the, the design that you've come up with I don't know until you test it. You don't know until you test it. So this is a paper that you've hypothesized that I have this idea. Here's what I've researched. I've put it together in this paper. It You don't have a prototype or anything yet? I do have a prototype. I do have a prototype, the proof of concept. Now we're trying to actually make a product, which is at least 10 times harder than yeah. getting the proof of concept because yeah. just because you have the proof of concept in the lab, it doesn't mean the production process is, is easy. The production yeah. process is a whole beast in itself. Yeah. Okay. I, I want to talk about two things. I want to talk about how you got to the prototype. Like where did you go for money to build a prototype and who backed you? Like, you know, you have this idea as a young man and you're like, why well, I would need to get this made. How do you go and you find a way to to materialize this prototype? It's not easy. Uh, Eric Schmidt. Yeah, the billionaire. <laughs> before, before Rise? After Rise. So let me get this straight. You worked two and a half years to write the paper. You submitted to Rise. And then they're like, okay, you're good to go. Here's the money to make the prototype. Yeah. So you just made the prototype recently. Yeah. Got it. Got it. And what was the steps to making the prototype? Oh, it's just a bunch of trial and error. 
So to, uh, do something and you test it. If it works, you keep building on it on top of it. If it doesn't work, you scratch it and you rebuild it until it works. And then you just try to get a consecutive row of working. Yeah, but you just build on top of it. Where are you going to do it? Like you drive to an office, you go to a lab. Like how is it? It's in a uh, biotech startup, that a local one that I connected with, and they're willing to test drive my idea. Yeah. Got it. And and what's the hardest part about it? The hardest part? I mean, everything is hard, but the hardest <laughs> the hardest part is uh keeping uh, dealing with uncertainty and yeah dealing with uncertainty because you never know until you do it like you can think you may think that it will not work but what if it in reality in reality will work so you don't know until you try it and then you know, it's just a lot of experimenting and then the key is making the right decision in the right time so I'm read, I've been reading a lot of books just to hone that decision-making skill. To yeah. Make sure like I'm sharp enough to make the right decisions. Now, why do you say it's 10 times harder once it goes to production? Because getting a proof of concept in the lab is just like doing a science experiment and testing things. You can manipulate things. But the production process... I mean, I shouldn't use the word production process. It's more like the company build, building a company out of it is ten times harder mm, because now you, now you're pulling in the production process, the you know the the the, the advertisement, the, the the user interface, like all of the the all the factors it comes in and the competition in the market, the the organization that will come after me, there's all sort of crazy things. But but you sound like you're wearing a CEO hat at that point. Is that what you're expected to do coming out of Rise? Is to lead the company or is it I want to be. Okay. I want so to be you, the one. So are you going to be creating an LOC for this product and then creating the whole branding, the whole campaign to put it out to market? Yes, but not with not just by myself. So I need a freaking team. Yeah, like, and how uh, do you build that team? Network. I know some pretty darn smart people. Yeah, and they're you know like Elon Musk, like he he said before that he he built a space company, but he has no degree at all in aerodynamics, yeah, and space technology. He, he when the interviewer asked him, so how the heck does that come about? And then he just said. Well, you can learn anything free on YouTube, first of all. The second of all is he, he reads a lot of books and start and he talks to a lot of smart people. And and sometimes the leader doesn't need to know anything about right. the energy. Is you know, um I don't know, but I don't know if the, the exact guy, but I think it's Steve Jobs. He said that his role is to make sure the part works together. He doesn't know. He doesn't actually need to know what happened in the part. His job is just to make sure the part works together. So it's like a harmonic, like, you know, like a... Orchestra a, conductor. Yes, 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 yeah. So you, you really don't have any um, interest in sort of being just a scientist that's building this thing. You want to run a company that handles all of the production, marketing everything that the product takes to get to the mass market. I'm worried about making an impact more than building a company. Building a company is a way to make an impact. Yeah. And what's the impact that you want to make? Uh, save cancer patients' lives. Uh, that is a very general and you know, common goal that a lot of uh, scientists and doctors have. The My vision is to, I envision a world where cancer is at, as easily treated as the common cold. Yeah. Yeah. 
and it is not just like something that when we think of it, it's like, oh, I can't deal with that. It's just cancer. Oh, like done, done deal. It's how, like, how far away do you think we are from curing cancer? I don't think cancer has a cure, but there's a way to deal with it. Just like the common cold. You know that the common cold does not have a cure. It doesn't have a cure because the, the, the common flu is caused by 300 plus different types of rhinoviruses. So how the heck do you make a cure for 300 different mm -hmm. types of rhinoviruses? If you make a cure, it might work for 50, but then right. the R250 doesn't work. When you make work for 150, the R150 doesn't work. So like, how do you, because it's, it's so diverse, it's so various in its form that it's hard to make one single cure. So we have vaccines that, you know, uh, build up our immune system to attack it. And luckily we're strong enough to attack the flu and keep it down. But, you know, thousands of people still die nationally from the flu. So it's, it's still deadly. Um, but we live on with it like it's nothing. So just like cancer is kind of like the common cold because it's so various in its form. So like two people, let's say two people, person A and person B, both have lung cancer and they both have the same size tumor in the same exact lung, in the same exact spot in the lung. So everything's the same. Same, same, same lung cancer type uh, same tumor size, same location, same everything. If you make a drug, you, you make a uh, yeah a therapy, it works for person A. It still can. It's still it's it's still possible for it to work for person A, but not for person B. Why is that? Well, it's because person A is different from person B. It's easy as that. Just because the biology is different. Well, wow. so then now that's just two. Now, what if you have three hundred, like three hundred thousand cancer yeah. patients? Well, like, like you can't, like, you yeah. can't take care of all the variants. Yes, exactly. Yeah. So then, so then, there's got to be a another strategy added instead of just attacking it straight on. There's got to be a way to curve it. Yeah, circumvent the. Yeah. Yeah. How do you balance school life? And this side of the award with um, with Rise and developing a company, how do you balance it all? Well, there's nothing to balance. I mean, you just you just come to school and then you just live your life up. Or you, you know, you just do what uh, the work that's uh, handed out to you and just do the best you can. And then talk to teachers, have fun, uh, get to know people, and then that's school. And then this rise thing is just like every once in like every once a week be like NBC, ABC, Fox is contacted the principal, principal contact me, like another interview, James, another interview, another interview. I'm like, okay, got it. And then my brother at home be like, okay, yeah, I'll prepare all the suits for you. And then you know, just come in and then uh yeah, just But what about the actual work itself? Um on the toothbrush? Is it, I mean, going into the lab and going into the, the office, don't you have to spend time doing that? Yes, I do. You go to school. Sometimes, sometimes I don't even pay attention in class because my mind is thinking about this cancer toothbrush thing. Yeah. So then, but I just, the end goal is to get sure to get just the grade, right? Just to get the, the, the A and then that's easy enough to do. Sometimes you don't even need to pay attention to do to get an A. Yeah, and you just just get the assignment in. Sometimes it's it's easy like that. I mean, most of the kids, most of the most of my peers, they don't pay attention that much anyway. They don't pay a hundred percent attention anyway. Right? It's it's very hard to find a person who's like solely focused just on the subject in class for. A whole 56 minutes of yeah. period yeah so then yeah sometimes i think about it in class uh sometimes i do it in a laptop nobody knows i'm just sitting and i'm typing something and it's the uh, work for the toothbrush and then i do it after school and then 
Saturday, Sunday, got a lot of free time. So that's when I hit hard on the, the project. What is the career trajectory of somebody in your situation? Like, what do you think about? Career trajectory. Yeah. Where do you want to go? I'm, I'm not very, uh, like I'm not very attached to a, an end destination. So I don't know what the heck the end destination is. I'm just trying to make the most out of the journey because if you make the most of the journey, no matter where you end up, you still win. You still win in life and career. So just trying to make the most out of the journey I'm in every single moment, just make the best decision. And then wherever it leads, it, it leads to whatever it leads to. What, what, I mean, what kind of industry do you want to eventually be in? Biotech. Biotech. Yeah. Well, if this, let's say two years from now, this cancer detecting toothbrush idea became a failure. Say something happened and uh, it doesn't work in the market. Let's say we get everything ready, but then something happened and then it, it doesn't work. Let's say we get people to use it for you know, a couple months and then something happened and then product get you know shunned by society and then it doesn't work anymore well at that point i'll try to have other ideas and then build other companies out of it so i always have backup plans so you know elon musk he has like 12 companies yeah like even if one idea failed does it matter because it's the other 11 idea it's very impact making the impact it can have is tremendous because his mindset is very big. He thinks big. And then and then he's like a, a workaholic. So then this is his strive, right? He just work he work on the idea really hard. And he makes sure it becomes a reality. It works like 120 hours a week. So then Yeah. Yeah, all, don't keep your all the eggs in one basket, basically. So can, can you share with me other biotech ideas that you have? Uh, I don't have a, another biotech idea, but I have other idea. So you know how, how Elon Musk, he has like a, let's say, solar panels, right? Solar City, Tesla, uh, electric car, uh, SpaceX, reusable rockets and going to Mars, uh, the boring company, digging tunnels. Uh, Neuralink inserting chip into brains. Oh, yeah, a bunch of other things, and then, so it's not it's not all in one biotech category, right? It's every it's every big problem that needs to be solved, right? So there's this idea of uh, space mining. So you know how minerals and materials on Earth are being depleted quickly, yeah. right? But in space, there are plenty. So what if we go to space and mine it and then go back on Earth to use it and sell it? There's this theory that we can, that the first effective space miner has the potential to be a trillionaire. A trillionaire. Because resources out in space is worth, it's, there's a lot out there in space. But see, I don't know how much a diamond is worth, but let's say a diamond worth like a million. Let's just say a diamond this size is worth a million. Yeah. And then there's no more of this such kind on Earth, but you need it. So you go to space and you find like a bunch of these and you go back and you sell them for like one million, two million. And then, yeah. That is more of like a making money perspective more than yeah. a solving problem perspective or impact creating yeah or impact creating yeah and what else do you do in your spare time oh <laughs> uh everybody thinks i'm a nerd uh, because i'm too sciencey and math but, and but nerds are cool right in high school are, are they still cool or they're not cool i i, I don't know it's subjective it's subjective i I, I don't even know what people think and I don't care what people think. Yeah. I care about the people that I care about. Like, I care about 
with people that I care about what they think, but not like any random dude or girl like out there in the corner pointing at me like, oh, like this dude, like that, like it's like it's not worth it. It's not uh credible. Yeah, so you gotta pick the right person to listen to, basically. And I'm I'm kind of proud and confident that I have those people in mind. And I've built the relationship throughout the years, so that's good. All right, uh, let's okay. get back to your spare time. What do you do? I rap. <laughs> I listen to rap music. <laughs> yeah. I love it. How How did you get into it? How did I get into it? Yeah, how did you get into rap music? You have one unheard message. Hi, I was calling Current, the influencer marketing platform, but I think I just got redirected to a bunch of people listening to a podcast. Well, anyways, I was calling Current because I was told they could help get my brand set up on TikTok shop and even build out an affiliate program of content creators promoting my brand and even have those content creators go on live streams and promote my product there. Wow. <laughs> I could really use Current. <laughs> I also heard that the brands they work with are making millions in sales. I guess I'll just go to their website at current.tech. Music. I've always been a music obsessed kid. Like ever since I was at elementary school, like I listened to, I remember like Maroon 5, like on repeat, like whatever. Whatever song that sounds good, like the melody, the beat, and the rhythm, I just listen to it. And then, like, I feel like I lose everything in that moment. Like, yeah. I don't care about everything else. Like, I lose myself in the moment of listening to music and just dancing away to the beat, to the rhythm, to the why, melody. Why, don't, why didn't you go into music or think about it? <sighs> I don't know, actually. Right? I mean, it sounds like you're obsessed with music. You have passion. You, you have passion and you get into you get into things that are, you go all in, it sounds like, you know, as a young man. But, you know, you and I have talked about rap music on another call and you seem very dedicated to learning about rap music and, and really participating in the actual rapping of, you know, whether it's on karaoke or, or, or whatever form that you, 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 you do it. You go all in. So I'm like, well, why didn't you become? I go all in is because it's a way for me to de-stress myself. It's a way mm. to like take my mind off of like a thousand lists of like dealing with a list of a thousand bullet points, like to make the company works, take the mind off of that and into this. Okay, let's just have some fun. And like, uh, like you know, de-stress, like recuperate and be like a human and then and then back to work again. Yeah. But and then but then rap is an interesting um choice, you know, as a scientist, as a so so called self proclaimed nerd that you that you called yourself. Like why rap and why do you think you gravitate towards rap? It just sounds good. <laughs> I don't know, it just sounds good. It's like if, if you ask like why why eat another piece of chocolate? Why watch another movie? I don't know. It's... I, I, I could guess if you were asked me why I listen to rap, I could, I could formulate some explanation, and I was looking for that explanation um, because we talked about actually the meaning of rap, right? Yeah, and we talked about the lyrical side of rap that you don't pay attention to, you don't really care yes. about. Yeah, sometimes sometimes the lyric resonate with you, and that's why people listen to rap. Yes. Right. Yes, the lyrics resonate with you. Yes, yes, that is a definitely the lyrics case. resonate. The yes. music is, uh, feng fu. Yes. Yeah. It's, it's a side. The, the side thing. Yeah. For me, when I listen to rap music, I really get into the words, and I get into what the poet basically is saying about his society, making commentary. But you don't really care about that and i find that interesting i find it interesting because it sounds almost like a mathematical kind of rhythmic pattern and beat that you're experiencing rather than yes yes exactly so if you 
follow me in a day in school, you will see that I sit in a chair in the classroom and I never stay still. My feet always tap. And like I hold a pencil. I always try to tap the table to create some, some type of beat. And sometimes I mix it all up and then the guy behind me starts singing. Cause he's enjoying the beat. <laughs> he's, like, he's in the choir and he's like the president of the choir actually. <laughs> so then like I would be, we were sitting and then we were just making beat. And then I like, like, like making some beat with my mouth and then like kind of like beatboxing and tapping my foot. And then with this thing, like making all sorts of sound with the table. Right. And then like he was in the background, just like be like this. And then like, eventually he started singing and then like, yeah. It's so uh, random. It's a random, but it happens like daily. But it happens daily. So that it's just like, I mean, it's just like a little quirk to my personality, I guess. It's just this music, uh, like the love for music, I guess. It's for the beat, for the rhythm, for the melody. No, no, no. I, I, I you know, you and I gone into that whole, you know, Travis Scott and we got into, you know, some of the music and lyrics and I found it so fascinating. You know, I come for the science, but I stay for the, the, the rap, right? <laughs> <laughs> okay. Do, do you do you follow um rap music in Vietnam? Yes. And do you listen to the lyrics in Vietnam and Vietnamese? Yes, most of the lyrics are pickup lines and uh, it's just it's just this uh funny it's not funny it's like it's like very easy to go viral. Like pickup lines that are like that you know mm -hmm. right so yeah. those things wordplay yes wordplay and then it rhymes and then in tandem with the beat with the way the rappers sing it off and the attitude and the image on the music video everything is just it's just beautiful so but that's what you're see but that's what you're describing how i feel about american rap music right oh the lyrics all of that, what you just described is how I feel about rap music, that when I talk to you about rap music, you completely don't even pay attention to the lyrical side, but in Vietnamese you do. You you just really express the, the beauty of rap music in Vietnamese. Well, partly because I understand what the heck the Vietnamese lyric is, and I don't understand what the heck they're mm. rapping in English like half the time. Half the time, it was just like, okay, so probably this rapper is just saying random things just to sound cool and get the, you know, the the, the vibe off. Yeah. That... We, we talked about that, and we actually went through an exercise together on few frames on a karaoke for Travis Scott together. We've done, th we've gone through that. Yeah. And we recognize that it is not just random yeah. ideas that he's just throwing out there. These yeah. are ideas of flexing of yes. showing his power of yes. you know there there's real life um ideas but but that's just travis scott but if you go down the list of like you go to like tupac shakur this is his songs his lyrics are taught at berkeley they're taught like at universities they're they're broken down and they're understood for contextual notions of society that existed in the 90s it's um I heard old school rap is more about you know describing the adversity yeah in life and uh, you know overcoming that. Eminem, the is this song "Lose Yourself." It's like the if you I analyzed the lyrics once and it's and it's it's that it's just describing the feeling of you know nervousness, having one chance, one opportunity, you better not lose it. You know, can't take care of your kids. You know, you know single mom, all that. You know. Uh, daddy work from home, go home, but you know his daughter, and then it's it's emotional. It is right. emotional. It's and Vietnamese emotional. rap is not there yet, is it? No, 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 nowhere, nowhere near. It's... Well, it is, it is, it is. Well, some I mean, song, some song has it, but most of the most popular songs are not just pickup lines. Yeah, most wow. of the popular songs are like pickup lines and love, but there are some songs, but it's not the most popular. It's not a hit, but it's like the the sidetrack you know the the not the most played track but there are track that that talks about ad adversity definitely for sure for sure for, for sure there is yeah. who, who are some of your Master. favorite rappers vietnamese rappers mm. top five just name five that's off the top of your head osad binzi 
uh, Just a T, um, oh, Sundong MTP. He said, he said, he said, he's a singer rapper slash. Yeah. And he's then, a powerhouse. Uh, he is a powerhouse. Yeah. Who else? Uh, Huawei? No. 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 Why? Carrick. 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 But now, yeah. why not Huawei? Huawei. His music, the lyric side is, yes, it's deep for sure. It's a meaning for sure. Like life adversity, that's there for sure. It's the rhythm that I'm missing. It's the melody. It's the beat. It's that, it's that catchy, mm. like hit potential beat rhythm that I, I like, that I love, that I, that I come for. Every time I listen to music, all, all I want is the melody, the rhythm, the beat. Yeah. And now, his do music. You, do you dream of living... being a rap star one day? <laughs> all right. Answer that one. <laughs> <laughs> yes. All right. I will. I will write, uh, I'll publish my own album. I'll sell out stadiums in Wembley and Paris, France. Okay, wait, yeah. wait, wait. You're not fucking around right now. You're, you're being... <laughs> no, I'm fucking around. All right, all right, all right. All right. Wait, <laughs> that, but, but that, wouldn't be, that wouldn't be crazy. That wouldn't be too far from, you know, why, why, why not, right? Why not be this, you know, uh, biotech leader as well as, you know, have a side hustle with rapping? Well, imagine... Imagine Mark Zuckerberg or Bill Gates or like Elon Musk started picking up a microphone and started rapping. How funny would that be? Yeah, that'd be pretty funny. I mean, it's that'd be pretty goofy. Um, usually the most famous people they try to go hard in one field, in one field only. Otherwise, if you try two fields, then people will be confused of like, okay, what's this dude doing? Yeah, or the, or does he even know what he's doing? Right. So then. So then I'll keep rapping as like a uh, a way for me to an outlet de-stress de and then you bond with people and then take my mind off to another planet. But like yeah. You you're a big Jungtan fan. Yes. And, and I was surprised to hear that. Why? I don't know. I it's just uh I don't know. I don't know why it took me by surprise. I I don't I may I thought that maybe it's older people that enjoy his content? Not so much the young folks in Vietnam or Vietnamese. I always thought it was make maybe late 40s, 50s that enjoyed the writing, his thoughts, his comedy. Yes, because, okay, so uh, the career of him, mm -hmm. he started out very goofy. He started out very goofy, very talkative. Some will even call him yam or like yep. you know silly, like has no meaning, just talking, just to make people laugh in an obsessive, meaningless way. But then he moved, and then like now it's very, very, very deep and meaningful, extremely. Like his movie, the lyrics of his songs, the what he says as an as a host of the TV show, the MC, right? Deal with any situation, and he's. He, He's a fully mature. Every time he speaks, there's real meaning. Mm. There's real message. There's real powerful message. Like you can learn something. So then, that's what I love. And then, the, the, the crazy thing, the nice thing about him is that while he's speaking in such a, you know, mature, like, deep message, right? All that vibe, serious. And he throws in a, a joke out of nowhere. And people, like, crack up right away. Because it hit them off the guard like they, right. not, they don't have the guard up it says okay this dude's going serious and then the joke just come in and every time he makes a joke his face is extremely calm so the audience doesn't know when it comes right there's some comedian that they start laughing before the joke before they say the joke so then the audience be like oh it's like something funny is about to hit or like they're about to make some joke or something so the effect is less but with him he mixed this the serious and joking together so well. Wow. That's, 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 that's you, amazing. How do you think he grew like that? Because, you know, high in Vietnam is typically to me, you know, I could be just talking off my ass right now, but it's typically <laughs> yam, right? Yes. Yes. And yam is in English is, 
sort of um how do I we... mean nyam in Vietnamese is probably in English it's like meaningless it doesn't have meaningless a meaning. yeah yeah like dumb jokes uh nyam is um doesn't matter matterless yeah matter yeah. yeah it doesn't matter matterless meaningless yeah yeah it's like it doesn't have an like it's like you don't learn something from it you don't basically. learn something it's not serious it's just you know and they say nyam nyi it's just uh yeah it doesn't even matter but how do you graduate like Jungtan? That's what I'm curious. What is the process of growth that Jungtan experienced to go from Nyam and then slowly you watch a movie like Bo Ya and you just, for me, crying from the depth of my heart and soul to understand what he was trying to say. And I find that to be... I don't know if it's Korean or American. The depth of that story of that film that he did won hearts and minds all over the world. Yes. How did he get like that? Do you know? How do I know? I don't know. I mean, do you follow the... Do you, How do I know? You know I'm not asking for your professional opinion about how you know. I'm asking if you've tracked it, if you've watched his... Oh progression and if you can guess how do you think he's been influenced from your from your perspective i remember when i was in middle school i probably watched every single movie like tv show that has him in it see and, i knew you're a super fan and and i think the root of it all started with his curiosity because um, as a as a host, he would host a lot of shows, and it's just all interview, uh, a lot of interview, and so he interviewed a lot of successful people, like 50, 40 years old, and the question he asks is like a impactful one, and it brings the story out, it brings the story out, it brings out the the really juicy things to say to talk about, and then he keeps asking those questions, and. When he listened to these questions, he learned something from all these experienced people, right? You know, like, you know, like Dan Minh Hung or like mm -hmm. the Hwai Lin or like the older people, more experienced people, successful people, right? So then he learned something and he keeps asking those questions. And what does that keep asking question comes from? It's from his curiosity. It's his like willingness to learn more, his openness to learn more. I didn't know he was an interviewer in the early years. He's a MC host, right? And then some of the shows are just purely interviewing wow some some of the shows are like just like three four of the shows are just period and then he likes to analyze things so he, he analyzes things and then his curiosity over time he listens to all these um positive meaningful message from successful experienced people and it just integrates to him it's just like it's the same as like reading self-help books yeah. Same as like it's like the same as like reading. Let's say you read fifty self help books, the language in your brain completely change. The way you think. Yeah, rewires you. Change. Yeah, your brain's like rewired. Yeah. Yeah. So then he went. Now he becomes really deep, mature, and you know, and the funny side of him never is is never gone. It's, it's always there. That's the brilliance. Yeah, you know, he can he can deliver these ideas in an entertaining and funny way and they're deep they're deep messages they are very deep but the thing is like he, the movie he come up with the the, the script and the the storyline storyline the storyline is amazing the story is amazing this the plot twist it's like you could never expect that yeah no, yeah. nobody, nobody expect that from from, from total from, surprises. Yeah, total surprise. Yeah, he, total has, surprise. A, he has a, a movie coming this year, twenty two January. That that's, should be fascinating to watch. That's, that's like yeah, it's a that movie. Yeah, it's a that movie, but but it's a family, and it's like the the jokes, the funny scenes are definitely there, but the the impact, the the message this time. I don't know what the heck this is gonna be, but mm -hmm. but it's if it's him, deep. if it's him, it's it's gonna be a punch. Yeah, big punch. Yeah. yeah. Do you miss Vietnam? I won't. Oh, I'm coming back this summer. 
I plan to. Yeah. Did I miss it? I don't know. I missed the um, the Doang lady. Yeah. Because that is probably only in Vietnam. Yeah. And it's only, only in Vietnam. Yeah. So then that was miss. I tend to like to go to places and soak myself up and learn whatever the heck everything there is to learn in that place. And so I tend to forget about the old thing. The like I tend to like my mind don't even think about mm. you don't go the, go you don't dig back into the past. Yeah, why I'm trying to learn what is currently happening. All of my mental capacity, all my mental space is like here. Uh, present. Yeah, it's here even. Yeah. But when I reflect, then I go all the way back. Okay. How did I grow? Like all like my journey is like from the, like, you know, elementary school kid, middle school kid, now to here, this toothbrush thing, all the media. Like what's happening? Like why did I make it big so quick? And in the future, I know this is a long time from now, but do you see yourself living in Vietnam or staying oh. here in the US? Probably in the U.S. Interesting. I'll probably. I I have no idea. Like, I'm I'm like I'm a 17, 18 year old kid. I don't I don't know what I want to do. Like when I'm fifty, I mean I can imagine that. Oh, I'm gonna own a couple houses in the U.S. and a couple houses in Vietnam, something like that. Yeah. But I don't know. But my dream destination though is uh, Europe. You mean to visit or to, to live visit. in? To visit and if i like it i'll probably live in it too why why do you why do you feel that way why europe why europe mm -hmm. initially when i was a kid i was just fascinated by the architecture it's easy as that it's easy as that the architecture it's phenomenal period yeah <laughs> the the aesthetics oh it just it it, it takes my heart Easy wow, that. you have a deep connection to the architecture. It, it's visually appealing. Yeah, very visually appealing. And I'm like, I'm, I'm, uh, I'm moved by anything that's visually appealing. What what country specifically? France, Italy, or Germany? Possibly. Mm, probably Germany. Because German, it has the most quality scientists. The Nobel Prize category, the Nobel Prize in the Academy is, is like in in Sweden, actually. But Sweden and Germany is like very yeah. You know, it's the, the culture of specificity and detail orientation and attention to detail. Yeah. And just grinding the fuck out of, <laughs> out of life. It's just... Nose to the grind. Go as hard as you can. I actually want to experience living in Bhutan once. You know, Bhutan has the happiest people in on Earth. Yeah, yeah. So, like, well, they live in the village. They live up in the mountains. Beautiful scenery. There's no phones, no internet. So, dude, like, you have no stress. You just live your life. I have a very like low um expectation in that environment. Like you don't scroll on Instagram, you see Kylie Jenner with like five Gucci bags or something, mm -hmm. and then like, oh, like I don't have that. Oh, like there's all these awards, all these like, just it's they, they don't care about that, and like they they're not stressed. Like they just live their life very simple, simply, and, like no no expectation, no like it's just very stress free. Very simple. Don't need to go big or anything. Just live each moment fully. And that's why they're like the happiest people. Yeah. I'm uh, I'm interested if, any, if anybody's written any studies on Bhutan and the people and their outcome of the most happiest place, you know, on earth. Education is probably not a priority. Jobs yeah. are probably not a priority. You know, advancement is probably... Because I think all those things go kind of in the opposite direction of 
Happiness. Happiness. You know, yeah. you know what it is. There's a study. It's, it's because when we do a die, when yes. we race, that is where unhappiness is being created, right? Unfulfillment. Unfulfilled. Yeah. Yeah. Because how can you ever enjoy just breathing clean air and mountains and just the purity of being in a community when you're worried about? Some Kylie Jenner and the Kardashians hundreds of miles away with their Gucci bags and their Prada, you know, jumpsuits. You know, it's impossible when we're being distracted mentally and spiritually by these doodoy aspects of, of living. Yeah, yeah, yeah. They, well, in Buddhism, there's this very, there's this idea of needs and wants. Mm. Just meet the needs, and then the wants is like the more wants you have, the more unhappiness you bring to yourself. Yeah, and the Bhutan people they just uh they just have the needs met. Met. Yeah, that's it. Yeah. That's it. That's it. Like, but if you think about them. if you think about um Vietnam in the countryside, mm. right? Mm. Oh my way, way. You think that they're life is you look at it and sometimes you think it's impoverished and poor but some of those people are the most happiest people that i've met in my travels in, in vietnam yeah. they, the they most giving the, the most generous people in vietnam are the people out in the boondocks yeah so they don't have as much to worry about they don't have this self-created target that they need to hit. Mm -hmm. They just live their life as it is. Oh, okay. There's a study from a Harvard researcher. He said that you know, sixty years ago versus now, or I don't know if it's sixty years ago or something, but it's like in the the twentieth century, mm -hmm. right? And it's like it's in the nineties, nineteen hundred something, right? Um. Everything is less advanced compared to now, correct? Everything. Yep. Everything is less advanced. So education, healthcare, uh, work, workforce, uh, work safety, like everything. Road construction, every single thing. It's just less advanced than now. So theoretically, the life quality should go up. And it does go up because people live longer. You have more access to nutritious food more access to more advanced uh, education. And they're living more pain-free, painless lives as they're aging. So it's getting better. Yes, except one thing also goes up. Stress. Yeah. I don't know if it's... I need to search this up. Statistics have something like American is like the most stressful country or something. Yeah, it's got to be. Some, some, it's got to be. Like that. We, I think like we, that. Work, we work so much... Um, but I, I, I think we work a lot of hours, but Jack, that we're the most productive. Because I heard like France doesn't work as much. Somebody just sent me a, a funny article where France doesn't work as much, but they're actually producing more during the times that they work. Mm. For, you know, for their hours that they put in. That's the effectiveness. It's, it's more effective. Yeah. yeah it's interesting. I don't know if that's proven or not, but... Um, well, I think... I think Japan is like work the most. Yeah. Like eleven hour a day or something. Like six to like nine. Yeah, they don't fuck six around. Six a.m. to nine p.m. I don't. Yeah. I don't understand how that works. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But, yeah, their film then, industry is a terrible place to to work too. They they go twelve, fourteen hour, sixteen hours easily without any concern for their workers. And then, but their life expectancy is the highest, like eighty-five or something. Oh, it's crazy, right? Yeah, it's like I don't, I, I don't understand. <laughs> I honestly, you know, like you work the most hours, you're the most you stressed, have, but you have the highest life expectancy. Maybe food diet. Yeah, but the diet is very, oh, it's very good, very healthy. Sashimi, sushi, the soup. Yeah. Oh, the fish soup, all that. Uh, I heard that in Japan, if you leave a bag out in the street and if you come back 24 hours later, nothing will be lost or stolen. Yeah, it's a pretty so, safe uh, society. Yeah, in, society in, filled in, with honor. The integrity is high. 
Yeah. Yeah, it's an interesting place. Well, James, I look forward to seeing what you do in the next few years and love to have you back on the show whenever things change, when you, you know, move along the uh, transitions in your life. Love to keep in touch and, you know, watch you um, make an impact in the world. All right. Thank you. And uh, thank you for having me in the show uh, for those kind wish words. Um. Yeah, and maybe we can do this in Vietnamese one day. Not sure about that. <laughs> Not sure. <laughs> maybe I can rap one day. That'd be cool. I'll, I look forward to it. Thanks again, James. All right. All right. Thank you for listening to the Vietnamese with Kenneth Win. The Vietnamese is produced by Brittany Tran. Special thanks to Jane Win, Catherine Win, Tina Pham, Sydney Jamie, and Christo Trin. Please find us on Instagram, Facebook, and TikTok at The Vietnamese Podcast. You can also find us on YouTube where you can subscribe, like, and comment. Please rate and give us a review wherever you find our podcasts.